Yeah, so Father, we're just so thankful and we just, we bless everything, Father, that you're doing right now. And Father, we just ask that um, yeah, as we listen to, to the kind of the thoughts that you've put on Lizzie's heart for this morning to, to share with us, Father, that that our hearts would just be so open to what you want to say because Jesus in you, there's life and there's light and there's truth that brings us into freedom. And there's your love that just forgives everything, that covers everything. Yeah, so thank you, Father, that you have been good to us, Father, and you continue to be good to us. We thank you for your pursuit of each one of our hearts, whether we've recognized it yet or not, Jesus, that you, your love is, is chasing after us because you've got so much for each one of us and to know you so personally and deeply. So we just thank you, Holy Spirit. We just ask that you just keep speaking to us. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> the, the abundance of God that he gives us new life. Does anyone else think that's amazing? <laughs> yeah. Like, God could have stopped at the cross and at dealing with sins, but he wanted abundantly to bless us to fulfill promises to give us more than we deserve so much more than we deserve so we're called into this new life so this is what we're going to be speaking about today so yeah Miriam messaged me and was like um do you want to speak on resurrection and new life and a a story of someone who's living a resurrected life and I was like oh this is going to be really positive and fun and a nice thing to talk about so I was like, I was like, yeah, I'll do it. That sounds fun. Um, uh, but then, I don't know if it's a mistake, but I made the mistake of going to God and asking Him who He wanted me to talk about today. Um, and I really felt He put on my heart to talk about Stephen, the first martyr, which seems a bit contradictory, doesn't it, to be talking about this amazing new life and resurrection, which we always tend to think of in the positive. And then um, God's saying, no, talk about Stephen and martyrdom. So (laughs) it's going to be a fun day. So um, when I was looking at the story of Stephen in Acts 6, 8 to 7, if anyone wants to look at it in the Bible, just to make sure I'm like quoting it correctly, not going too dramatic with the story. So one of the things that stood out at the very beginning is that this man was causing a stir and he was causing a stir because he walked with miraculous wisdom he walked with God and all the power that the the resurrection gave him so he was causing a stir he was annoying some really important people and they'd really really tried to use all of their arguments and all of their head knowledge to silence this man to like put him to the side, but nothing can stand against resurrection power and the wisdom of God. So um, they decided (laughs) with their worldly wisdom that they needed to tell some fibs and make up some lies about Stephen. So they said that he was blaspheming against God, which meant that he was pulled in front of the like Sanhedrin, the court of the day. Um, with some of the greatest minds in um, in the area came to kind of judge him. <laughs> um, 
And so we've got to bear in mind that Stephen had all of this wisdom and um, all of this anointing from God to cause a stir. And I don't know about you, but probably in that moment, I would be inclined to maybe defend myself and to use my wisdom for myself to save myself from jail or death or many other things. But luckily... Stephen wasn't operating out of the wisdom of the world, but he was operating out of the wisdom of heaven. And the wisdom of heaven, as we've covered in a previous series to this one, the wisdom of heaven always glorifies and honors God. And so he used this opportunity to remind the Jewish leaders in the Sanhedrin that a transition had occurred that there was an opportunity for new life. And he did this by reminding them of their history, that they'd not been very good in the past when they transitioned from slavery to the promised land, uh, honoring God and understanding the ways in which God provided for them. And so he told them the story of the, the transition from the wilderness into the promised land, which is the precursor story to the life of sin, to the new life that Jesus gives us on um, through resurrection. So he tells this story, and they they don't seem to like being told <laughs> that they um, that they don't know what they're talking about. Basically, that they've missed something. Because how would you feel? If, so these people hold their history and their story as the complete God's honest truth and fulfillment of everything, and they're waiting for the Messiah, but they don't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. And this guy's coming along, and he's saying, look, you weren't really great at understanding how to walk in promise before, and so I'm giving you this opportunity now. This is the life that you can live to walk in promise. Um, but they didn't like this, <laughs> um, because they were still so stuck in the law and in needing to to understand things with their mind and needing to control things that they couldn't see the truth that was in front of them. Um, so I wanted to delve a little bit more into the into the backstory of what um, Stephen was sharing um, and looking actually at Joshua and the how we're called to move from the wilderness to the promised land. So how we're called to transition from the forgiving of our sins at the cross to walking the new life and promise. So there are a couple of things that I wanted to touch on. So um, everybody probably knows the famous verse where it says, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. How many people know that that verse, <laughs> have heard that verse, have seen it printed on something? <laughs> it's, it's a really, really good one. It's nice and encouraging. Um, but when you actually delve into it, what is God actually asking us to do? And if you look at the Hebrew root of the word courage, I've always wanted to do this when I preach, like, you know, the root of the word, like... I sound like so smart, <laughs> but it was a major revelation to me when I looked at the, the root of the word um, courageous, the Hebrew root of the word courageous in this 
Because God isn't just commanding you to be like, you know, courageous to go step up, do things. But the root of courageous, actually, it means to kind of be a little bit ridiculous, to do things that don't make sense. <laughs> um, so he's call, calling us to be strong and to go and do things that don't make sense, like to go and cross over a river into an occupied land that has these giants that have been reported back to having all these giants and these people with armies and swords and walled cities. Like, So God's saying, I'm commanding you to go and do that ridiculous thing. <laughs> That's what it means. In the kingdom of God, to have courage is to follow the word of God, the command of God, and to go and do the ridiculous thing. So how many times do we stop and think, oh, I don't want to do that, that's a bit ridiculous. I know I do that a lot. <laughs> Am I the only one? <laughs> but yeah, we, we um, allow the, we forget the command of the Lord to go and do the ridiculous things that he commands. So that's one of the things that I wanted to pull out of the original Joshua story. And that um, Stephen is reminding the Sanhedrin is that God isn't logical. He's kind of going to do things that are miraculous and a little bit ridiculous. <laughs> things that don't make sense and things that can't be understood and can't be contained by human understanding or power. And then um, one of the other things, at the, the very end of the um, Joshua story, after the, and I find this very interesting, after the um, Hebrews have occupied the land and gone in and fought all the battles and they actually um god asked them to make a covenant and joshua um um, has the leaders make a covenant with god after the fulfillment of the promise after they've occupied the land god's like let's make a covenant (laughs) um so in joshua 24 15 it's the covenant the um question that joshua asks the leaders of of israel before they make this covenant. It's, he says, but if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, uh, then choose yourselves this day whom you will serve. So <laughs> he's giving them an out. He's saying, where is your desire? Where is your heart? Is your heart for this God? Or is your heart for something else? Because as we know from the story of the Hebrews in the wilderness, they had been a consistent battle at being 100% for God, <laughs> that they had been wanting to go back to the old ways, to live the old life, to um, serve the idols and the things that served them, because it was a big, risky, scary thing to actually be all in for God. So God will meet us in our promises, meet, meet us in, in going into the promised land, will will give us promises but he's always asking who do you serve are you 100% for me like or are you for yourself so going back to the Stephen story um the end of the story is probably pretty evident (laughs) of who um who Stephen serves because he gives up his life for God but he doesn't when he is going to be stoned he isn't left on his own but something miraculous happens that not only is God with him which was the original promise that God gave about people who who go into and occupy the promise that he was not just with them but the whole of heaven opened up above him and Stephen fixed his eyes on 
who he was serving, where his desire was, where his heart was, on the person who was making him do the ridiculous, to not defend himself with all the wisdom that God had given him, to not argue his way out of this situation, to not bow down to the idol of of um, Hi Elijah, <laughs> to the to the idol of the law that had been set up, but instead to live his life with the fulfillment of the law, which was to live his life with his eyes fixed on Jesus. Um, and so, not only was this like an internal thing that he was experiencing, but the whole of heaven opened above him. And yeah, so with that little story. I wanted to kind of put some thoughts into your mind of like, how are you learning to walk in promise? What what are you doing to like walk in promise? Because I think it's a thing that we need to learn, we need to practice, and um, it's going to be unique to each one of us. We're going to have a specific thing that God is going to like fix our eyes to that are going to is going to mean that our old life can no longer be appealing to us, but our desire is for the promise and the new life that God has us in and is completing for us. Sometimes, like, you know, the world is not perfect. The world is really challenging. And especially when you're called to this life to be set apart, to be different, you're going to be in a continual cycle of being pulled in front of the Sanhedrin. And, I mean, hopefully... None of us are going to be martyred. <laughs> um, but we, we're constantly in this cycle of being pulled before the Sanhedrin. It might not be in an official court, but it could be with friends that you have, with family that you have, um, with fellow believers that are questioning the promises that God has said to you, that is questioning the ultimate promise that God is going to bring you life in abundance, that they're wanting you to continue to live in old patterns and in, in your old life because guess what? They don't want to give you up because they don't want to follow you into the promised land because they're scared of the giants. So we're constantly in our life going to be pulled up in front of the Sanhedrin and going to, and our resurrected life, the life that we're living, the life that we're displaying is going to be challenged. And we have that opportunity when that happens to go with the wisdom of the world to just say, okay, I'll be like you because, you know, it's not that bad. I can just, you know, try again tomorrow, which is okay if that happens. But we also have the opportunity to glorify God like Stephen did, to say, actually, no, this is the truth, that I have transitioned into a new place, that I am living a new, into a new place, a new life. Come and join me because this is where life is. This is where all truth is. This is the only way to live. And all the time that we're saying, oh, well, that's good for you, but this is, and this is where I'm going, that also, you know, we need to drag people with us. This is, this is why um, Stephen was giving this speech in the Sanhedrin was like not to defend himself, not to save himself from death, but actually to say, you need to transition, guys. Like, you know, you've not been very good at, at seeing transition in the past and, like, you know, giving up your idols. You need to give up the old law and transition into this new life. That is the last thing that Stephen chose to do with his life. The last thing he chose to do to honor God was to say, there is a new life now, like a new way of living. So I also think, though, that um, it really helps to have 
a vision of what that life is when it when it comes under challenge and when it's hard because I think that's what got Stephen through this persecution and this um, difficult time and ultimately death <laughs> was um, because he had a vision of who God was because he he had seen the miraculous power of God in through him and I'm sure in his life we don't have a lot of his backstory but like he he was known as someone who walked with immense wisdom and in immense miraculous power and I think sometimes some of us will have seen that in our life we will have seen the miraculous power of God come through but as time progresses it kind of you kind of forget it and you think oh like you know I'm being challenged again this thing's happening again like you know the weight of the world comes on you but it there's something about like the even sharing testimony of what God's done amongst each other but also the sharing the testimony and what God's done in your own life and having that internal record um or even doing something like if you're a visual person like writing what God's done in front of you to to actually when challenge comes you've got something to hook yourself into because you know we were designed to kind of replicate the things that we focus on so if we're focusing on the the challenge around us the difficult times <laughs> and we're not focusing on the fact that we have been born into a new life we do have resurrection power in our lives but the thing is is we are not serving ourselves and making life easy for ourselves but we're serving a god who has a bigger picture that we're a part of so go to god for that vision L- like remind yourself of the testimony of what god's got god has done in your life but it it's essential to hook yourself into to root yourself into God's vision for your resurrected life because or else you won't be able to stay on that trajectory of of walking in promise because the pull of your old life and your and the world around you will be so strong and if you're not deeply rooted in a vision for your life that God has set for you you won't be able to keep on moving in promise so hopefully that wasn't too um, depressing talking about martyrdom. <laughs> um, but I think it's just a really good example of of some of these principles of how we walk in promise. We all need to learn how to walk in promise. And it's going to be different for each one of us, but it's a process that we need to do. We've spent so much time learning how not to live in sin and how to deal with sin and so much focus on sin. But what about how to live in promise? That's, to me, what a resurrected life is. It's about promise and how to live in that promise. Even if those promises, specific promises, aren't fulfilled, the ultimate promise is Jesus, and he has fulfilled his promise. And so we can live out of that, and all the other things will fall into place, but we have to deeply root ourselves in that promise to be able to stay the course, basically. So yeah, um, I was wondering if we could just take a few minutes to really take some time to reflect for ourselves on like what God wants us to root us in, to like show us the vision of what he has for our new resurrected life. And also, if you don't know Jesus, do you want to live that resurrected life? Do you want to enter into that new life? And if you do, you can say yes to that new life now and ask what that vision is he has for your new life. So we're just going to take a few minutes to reflect on that ourselves. 
So I strongly encourage you, if anything has come to mind or God's spoken to you about anything, to write it down, because um, it's amazing how um, quickly we forget what God has said. Um, but I also just wanted to add, like, you know, learning to walk in promise is a journey. It's not about, like, suddenly one day you're going to be different. Um, so when I started doing this, like, you know, rooting myself into the promises of God and, like, you know, being like, I want to, like, 100%, like, reflect the kingdom of God and, like, not be like the world. Um, like, literally the next day, like, I had the biggest challenge to it. So I'd had this big thing the night before, like, in prayer with God. And I was like, I'm going to be 100% for your kingdom because everything I do here on earth, like, is going to, like, um, pave the way for the coming of Jesus. I was, like, a little bit um, over the top. But I was like, yeah, I'm going to, like, you know, be 100% for the kingdom and do everything and just profess your name everywhere. Um, and I went into work the next day. And... Um, uh, I had the opportunity to share with my colleagues about, um, so God healed me from like a, a really bad uh, gluten allergy like many years ago. And I had this opportunity to like share because we were talking about gluten allergies and they're like, oh, how did you get over yours? And I was like, oh, I could have told them my whole healing testimony like in my head. But I was like, I work with these people. I don't want them to think I'm weird. <laughs> so then I was like, oh, you know, these things just happen. That was my response. Instead of glorifying the name of God and what he'd done in my life to these bunch of people in, in my office, I was just like, these things happen. And in my mind, I'm like, they happen because I believe in God and God is a good God. But these things stayed inside my mind and I didn't profess with my mouth the, the goodness of God. And afterwards, like, I felt so convicted because I'm quite an intense personality and I'm like an all or nothing. So I was like, the night before, I was like, I'm everything for you, God, and like, you know, all about your kingdom. And then the next day, you know, oh, like, it was bad. But then, you know, the thing is, is we don't just serve a king, but we serve a loving father who teaches us how to live and who meets us where we're at. And so, so that time when I didn't glorify the name of God, like, God met me in that, in my how I was feeling like disappointed at myself and like annoyed and all these things but God met me in that and he's like it's okay it's like I'm going to provide other opportunities he wasn't all about like you know he's not a vindictive God that needs you to be perfect but he's a God that's actually fathering you and teaching you the way to live this life so not only do we need to root ourselves in the vision that God has for our lives, but we need to root ourselves in Jesus. We need to remember what it means and learn what it means to be in Jesus. Um, Because that's where we'll find the compassion and the love and the understanding and the wisdom and basically everything that we need to live this new life. So I just wanted to add that in because sometimes people with perfectionist tendencies (laughs) can get a vision of how God wants them to live their life in like, really try to go for it and remember and forget that um we're only human